You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. John chapter 6 is where we're going to be today and looking at um, this passage, kind of a smattering of passages as we head towards Christmas and why did Jesus come. So John chapter 6 is where you can head. Is Ainsley here today? Hi, Ainsley. Look at that. That's what you drew last week, right? Yeah. Ainsley drew this picture. Now, you can ask Ainsley all of what is here, right? But we can see the words, he died for our sins. And last week, we looked at Jesus. Why did he come to establish a kingdom? And that king came to die on a cross for our sins. So thank you, Ainsley, for giving that to me last week. I appreciate that. Hopefully by now you found John chapter 6. I'm just going to read, if you find verse 38, I'm going to read um, just a couple verses at this point, and then we'll, we'll look at some more of it here later on. But John 6, verse 38 through 40, let me just read that for us, hear God's word. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word for the ability for us right now to have it within our grasp, our own hands. We can open it any time and read it. You've given us this gift, and we pray right now that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding. Lord, just to slow our minds down enough from the, the hecticness and, and the, the flurry in our, in our minds of the, maybe the news going on and the events of the world and all these other things, Lord, we We come before your presence to hear from you. You're the voice we want to hear from today. So speak into each heart that's gathered here. Lord, if they're visiting with us for one day today, or they've been here for many, many, many years, and including my own heart, Lord, speak to us in a way that we would hear you through your word and give glory again to Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. I want to ask for you just to examine your own heart, a question for your own heart today, probably not an unfamiliar question for us, but one day when you go before the Lord, when you meet the Lord in the heavens, as it were, you're before the presence of the Lord to spend eternity with him, what will be your security or your hope in that moment? What will you be hoping for at that moment Maybe you might say, my week or my year or my life has merited me coming before the Lord. I've I've earned it. I think I've done good enough. I've followed hard enough. Or perhaps, maybe many of you, there's a nagging thought of us before the Lord of, I will never be good enough to stand before the Lord. How could I stand before him? My sin, maybe just your sin of of this morning on your way here or your sin of this week, it's too deep. Or my failures, like we talked about in Sunday school, my failures, they're just too persistent. 
or even my faith. My faith is just too weak. And if that's some of you this morning, if that's what you're thinking, my sin too deep, my failures too persistent, my faith too weak, I want to comfort you with this thought. You're you're right. You're absolutely correct. You're right in that. And so am I. And each of us, we're simply not good enough to stand before a holy God. Our sin is too deep, our faith too weak, too persistent, and our lives are corrupt in the eyes of God. And without a work of God, we're rebels to him and slaves to sin. But as we come to John 6 today, there is great hope here. We've got that question before us, why did Jesus come? And in John 6, 38, answers specifically to do the will of him who sent me. And if we're convicted of our life before the Lord, and I just don't know, and what do I trust in and hope in, this is, for now, this is a wonderful place to be because of where God's word points us. Again, it points us to Jesus, and that's where or who we have hope. I want to look a little bit at the context of this passage, um, where we got to, where are we? In, we're kind of just starting, and we, we didn't even start at the paragraph. We just started in the middle of the paragraph. So give us a little context. Earlier in this chapter, uh, even in the first verses unfold, we've got a large fo- crowd following Jesus. There's that account, the feeding of the, the 5,000. The 5,000 are hearing his teaching. He's, they're seeing the signs he was doing, healing the sick. He's up on a mountain. And this is John's passage is where if we ever thought, well, are you sure? Is there a little boy that gives the fish? Yes, it's here in John. A little boy, five loaves of bread, two fish. And they feed 5,000 men plus women and children, it says. And they were satisfied because there were leftovers from this. You remember that account, perhaps. And in fact, they're so satisfied, they're so in awe that, like last week, they want to make Jesus king right there. Let's, if, if we're doing this, let's make him the king. Jesus perceives this, and the text says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king... He withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, I'm going to skip a little part of the story, but moving on to the next day, the crowd finds him uh, on the other side of the sea at Capernaum, and they ask him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So he traveled, actually came with the disciples at night, and they just arrived at the next place, I believe it says, which is amazing. But let's Look at the story because Jesus answers, and they say, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answers with where I want to I lead us in verse 26. So if you look back at John 6, 26, then I want to read us up to kind of where we're at in our passage that we're just specifically looking at today. It says there in John six twenty six, Jesus answered them. You know, they're going, when did you come here? He doesn't say, well, I got here at you know, midnight and whatever, and here's what he just says, truly, truly, I say to you, and they get right to the point, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal, Then they said to him, 
What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And then verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Jesus points this crowd away from the the mere physical bread to somewhere else. Where does he point them? To himself. He says, I, it's that ego, it's that emphasis, I, if we could put another I in the translation, it'd be great. I, I am the bread of life. There's emphasis there of who this I am is. And so those who come to Jesus believing in him shall not hunger, nor shall they thirst. Manna was for a day, right? They couldn't pick enough for the next day. It's, it's day. Jesus is forever. I think the manna, the, the, the symbol, Jesus, the fulfillment. And then verse 37 has this great assurance. Verse 37, all that the Father, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. The wording here, there's a couple of sources I looked at as I take the Greek, translate, work it out, whatever. They say here, the wording in the Greek, this is the most decisive way of, I get the word right, negativing. I just say negating. This is the, the most decisive way of negating something in the future. Like, if there's a way to say this won't happen, this is it. Or another place says, um, another comments, the combination here of words denies a potentiality. I will never cast out. Those of God will come, right? He's, the Father gives me. The Father gives. They're going to come to me, and they will never be cast out. And here, cast out seems to imply cast out from the presence of God into eternal torment forever. We've got Because we've got other phrases in there. Raise it up on the last day. Maybe thinking of that judgment day. This is a wonderful verse for us, isn't it? So it's not all the Father gives me, I hope they come. It's they will come, and I will never cast them out. It's great assurance and hope for us. And so with that background, then, we come to the text where I read from for this morning. And verse 38, then, begins with what? A great three-letter preposition Four. Start to love those, or, or the four letter, that, T-H-A-T, they're great, or in order, whatever, four, gives us purpose. Why? And here, 
as we look at why did Jesus come, why Christmas, why the incarnation, why these things, here's one. Here's a reason found in John 6.38 for why Jesus came down from heaven. And Jesus came down not to do his own will, but his Father's. Now, verse 39 and 40, it's quite interesting. They're going to expound on this, and we'll look at this. But just for, just for a minute or less, let's just think broadly of this Father's will, this idea that I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What is this Father's will that's being talked about? How does it relate to Jesus? God's will it can mean two things, and I think they're, they're interrelated, so it's not like necessarily two separate, but, but it helps theologians make this distinction, it can mean two things. One is his decreative will. That's a big word, but it's what God decrees. It's his eternal purposes. In the eternal plan of God, he has a will that's happening. Nothing will change. Nothing will thwart his eternal purposes, called his decreative or decreed will. There's also another will. They talk about his will, uh, pres- his prescriptive will, what he prescribes man to do. We think of that when we think of Ten Commandments. Thou shalt, you know, do this, honor your father and mother, don't do this, don't lie, steal, whatever, covet, those sorts of things. Those prescribed will, I want you to follow this command. And we know that, well, each of us know we don't always do that command, do we? Slaves to another will, in fact. But that's God's will that mankind would obey him. The glorious truth in all this, go down this trail, the glorious truth is that Jesus fulfills both. He fulfills the eternal purpose of God, a plan in the fullness of time, remember that? And then we're going to look at he fulfills God's will that man would obey. We'll look at that a little bit as we get into verses 39 and 40. So let's go there. Look at verse 39 now. It says, and this is the will of him who sent me. So what, what is this will? This, is, this gives us a little more. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 39, it's not terribly hard to understand, Right? The Father chooses those he's predestined for salvation in Jesus. And that's going to include the promise Jesus will lose none of those given, but he will raise them up on the last day. They're going to persevere to the end and they will be resurrected in Christ. But to think of this, we think, how will they not be lost? How will Jesus not lose them? On on what is the basis... What's the basis of the eternal life offered to rebels? How will they be raised up on the last day? How will Jesus not not lose them? I think it's based in part on Christ, well, fully, really, on Christ's obedience, both in in his life, we'll look at that, and then his death, according to God's eternal plan, but also that Jesus fully obeyed God. Let me explain that, how Jesus as a man fully obeyed. Remember, just think about Jesus' life, but going back to Adam and Eve, tempted, Genesis 3, Genesis 2, God says, here's, you know, eat these trees. Here's one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Eat of this one, you'll die. Satan comes along, 
Chapter 3, temptation. You got to really say that. Eve, Adam and Eve eat, and they don't die physically right away. Spiritual death, and death spreads to all men through Adam and Eve. They, dis- they disobeyed that prescriptive, that prescribed will. Don't eat this. One, and they eat, and they disobey. And Paul, Paul says that disobedience was brought, it brought death on all men. And all are born in sin, they're slaves to sin, through their disobedience to God's, God's will. Later on in John 8, Jesus likens the Jews to their father, but not father Abraham, like we might sing of, but, but to their father, the devil. Here's what he says to them. Um, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Do you see the contrast of wills? Doing the father's will or the other father, your father, the devil, says, Jesus says to him, he was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And no matter how hard you and I, without a work of God in our lives, try, we default to our father, as it were, to our disobedience and our sinful nature, and we are slaves. But then Paul says also that through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. You got disobedience and then obedience. Who's that one man? I mean, if we asked who, who in creation obeys all the Father's will perfectly, and we're distraught and we can't even make it one day, who does that perfectly? And we want to look just briefly at the life of Jesus. Think about his life. Think about, and I, and I love the, the contrast of Adam and Eve temptation in Genesis 3 and then that of Jesus in the Gospels. What does Jesus do with temptation? He passes the test wonderfully without food for 40 days, and he defeats Satan's temptations. He withstood. He didn't sin. A couple other verses to think about Jesus now doing that will of the Father. John 5.30, Jesus says, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Or later, John 8.29, Jesus says, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. You hear the Adam and Eve and we, just when you hear Adam and Eve, put us in there. And here's Jesus always doing the things that are pleasing to his father. And at the end of John 14, Jesus says, the ruler of this world, goes on to say, has no claim on me, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. Jesus obeys, and he obeys then all the way to the cross. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus' words there, praying that night. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to have a trial and then be crucified. And remember his words there? Mark 14, 36 says it this way, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. Jesus obeyed all the way to the cross, even in what 
uh, Liz and Haley, and thank you for reading this morning, shared in the Advent, Philippians 2.8, Jesus humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so Jesus' life, obeying the Father, facing temptation, fulfilling the law and the prophets, all the way to the cross, it demonstrates him fulfilling the entire will of God, all of it. God commands, he commands we obey, and yet we see within us this war, the war of flesh and spirit. And yet, praise the Lord, the war is won. And it's not won through our perfectionism or getting it just right for this week or this morning. It's won by the Son who completely obeyed the Father all the way to then shedding his blood, paying that penalty for our sin, death, the cursing we deserve, the judgment, paying for it on the cross for those that would come to him. Theologian Wayne Grudem, he says this. He says, Christ, speaking of kind of Christ's life of obedience that we just briefly talked about, he says, Christ had to live a life of perfect obedience to God in order to earn righteousness for us. Now, there's a section in here you can read about where he's saying, why didn't Jesus just, you know, why didn't he just come and as a young boy die? Wasn't he sinless? Why didn't he just die as a young boy? Why, did, why was it, you know, around age 33 or whatever? And it's, it's for this fact. He obeyed. That son of man came to be the, the second Adam, as it were, to obey. Well, Grudem says this. He had to obey the law for his whole life on our behalf. So that the positive merits, we got to catch this, the positive merits of his perfect obedience would be counted for us. That is good, really good news. In theological terms, we call it Christ's, his active obedience. He obeyed all of God's commands. And then his passive obedience is that obedience to be on the cross and to die for sins and to follow to fulfill the eternal plan of God on the cross. But in simple terms, away from theological, active, well, what, decretive, prescriptive, all these different bigger words, what's the simple thought of all this? That our salvation solely, that means alone, solely rests on Jesus Christ. Amen, Right? That's where it rests. And we want to, right, in our morning or our week, and go, man, it, it rests on me again. i got to get this. Our salvation, our, our not being lost, of verse 39, I shall lose nothing. That's on Jesus. He won't lose anyone. Jesus achieves salvation for us. He will lose no one because His perfection and his sacrifice, they are the only sure, the only sufficient means of our salvation. And he alone does the will fully of the one who sent him. So Grudem then asks, here's the question, whose lifelong record of obedience would we rather rely on for our standing before God? When you stand before God to ask, are you going to rely on your record of obedience And hopefully you're saying, my record is terrible. If anybody saw that record, it's awful. And it's it's worse than we even know, but it's awful. 
or are we going to stand on Christ's obedience, his will? Then look at verse 40. One more aspect of the Father's will, which I think in light of what we've been looking at at Jesus, in light this should make, hopefully, we'll try to, try to see it, hopefully make some sense here. Look at verse 40. For this is the will of my Father. Now verse 39, right? This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing. Now again, we've kind of got, this is the will. So verse 40, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Father's will is that Jesus should lose none of those given to him by the Father before the foundation of the world. Paul puts it that way in Ephesians. And it's the same will that those whom the Father has given to the Son, who he's drawn to himself, drawn to himself, those who look on the Son and believe in him will receive eternal life. D.A. Carson defines eternal life here. In this way, he says it's more than mere unending existence, right? It's not just eternally existing in one state. We think, well, maybe we think, why would I want to do that? He defines it this way. It is primarily the passing over from condemnation to acceptance, from death to life, and then it is a foretaste the full banquet of which occurs in resurrection life. Eternal life is eternal. It is forever, but it's that renewed life in the presence of God to stand before him pure and blameless and in whose presence there is joy. Psalm 16, 11 says joy forevermore. Have you ever had a joyful day? Maybe just, maybe you're a, a downer type person, not many. I've had one or two. Think of that joyful day times an infinite number. That's being in the presence of the Lord. That's eternal life. That's what we have by looking to the Son, by faith and belief in Him. Those Those who look to the Son here and believe in Him, they realize something. The looking realizes something, right? They realize they're dead in sin. No amount of good deeds is going to merit or earn heaven. And so the one being drawn by God realizes, I am a sinner. And I cannot stand before a holy God. He is just to punish my sin. His judgment is right on me. And yet repentance, one turns from sin to somewhere else. We often say to someone else, and that is faith. That is the looking here. Faith, faith looks here in verse 40. It believes. It might say it rests on the obedience and death of another. And Jesus is that one, that only one, who perfectly and completely obeys the Father's will. And obeys to the point of shedding his blood on the cross. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It's the eternal plan of God to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days 
The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I want to speak to two today. One, the one here today who would stand under conviction that before God, just asking you to examine your heart, before God you agree you are rightly condemned as a sinner. His will, you understand, His will is for you to worship Him alone, to obey Him, to honor father and mother, to not lie, to not covet, to not steal, to not look lustfully at someone, to not use His name in a wrong way, to not make an idol out of anything. And you say, I'm rightly condemned. I've broken His laws, His, his commandments. And you hunger and you thirst after a righteousness for, before God to be holy and pure. And the call today is for us to confess, confess you being a sinner. And then by whatever small faith you have, however hazy or mustard seed type faith it is to look. It's not to look at your faith and examine it and say, Boy, I got to grow this faith and then I'll be saved. It's to take that faith that God's drawing you with that conviction and take it to the Lord Jesus Christ and look on him. He's the one that says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You think of Matthew and thinking of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Do you want to be pure and righteous? It's not found in our, in our doing, but in Christ's doing and our looking by faith on him. I invite you today, if you have not done that, if you have not repented of sin and come to the Lord Jesus, to do that this very day, this Christmas season, to do that. I'm going to try to hang out after I dismiss us. I'll hang out up here. If today you're going, it's all, most of the times it doesn't make today God's working on my heart. I would encourage you to deal with that. You can talk to one of the elders that are here or, or grab somebody you're sitting by and say, I need to deal with this. And then to you who have known Christ for years and yet you too seem to be plagued by your own sins and you feel the weight of that and your unholiness before the Lord. This passage and this reason for Jesus coming to do the will, the eternal will and the the prescriptive that he did all of what God commanded is the place where we want to rest, to rest in him. He has truly done it all and we can wait on him and rest in him and the call to you is to just to believe what do you what do you do with this what do we do with this passage what are we supposed to go out and do i think it's to rest to rest in this one who's obeyed the will of the father who will lose none of those who come to him jesus says all that the father gives me will come to me Are you drawn to God? If you're drawn to God, then rejoice and run to Him. And He also says, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's a great promise for those who would look to the Son. Let's pray. Father, I admit that perhaps these words and this Scripture is is regrettably all too maybe familiar for us. And we can simply kind of run by this news and go, yep, heard, heard that before. Oh, Father.
Father, forgive us. What a gift you have given in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, who came, humbled yourself as a baby to grow up as a boy and face rejection and hurt and to heal and to live righteously and to die on a cross and to bear the weight of our sin on that cross. How deep, Lord God, your love for us. Lord, I pray for hearts today that are not sure that that have never confessed their sin and come to you, Jesus, for salvation, that they would not let another night go by without having done that, without looking to the Son. What are the works of God? Believe. Put your faith in Jesus. Help us to believe, Lord. And then for those that have heard this, Father, we pray that we would rejoice when we are marred by, by a lack of assurance. Lord, may we see our sin clearly. May we repent of it, but may we rest solidly on the only one who our salvation rests on, on Jesus Christ. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.